Welcome to the very first episode of Stuck in Misery, the premier Midwest sports talk podcast. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by Sam Renshin and James West. And on today's show, we discuss ESPN's 30 for 30 documentary, Long Gone Summer. The documentary profiled the 1998 home run race between Chicago Cubs right fielder Sammy Sosa and St. Louis Cardinals first baseman Mark McGuire. Sam, I want to start with you. What was your main takeaway from the documentary? Honestly, I really liked the documentary. You know, coming from, obviously from St. Louis, I, you know, I'm probably a little biased. But, uh, and I heard, I heard some negativity coming around from it. But I think it just was awesome just to see baseball back again, you know, after all these sports, not being around during the coronavirus. It just kind of gave you some fresh air, some life, and some glimpses into what it was like to have a live baseball stadium. And I think right off the bat for me, it was just great seeing, you know, just how they shot a lot of different areas and around St. Louis and around Chicago. And it just kind of definitely captured the essence of that rivalry and how much St. Louis breeds baseball. And Cubs fans, just as much as St. Louis, are, are great fans too. And just kind of, they captured off that rivalry right away. For me, I, I didn't really know, obviously I knew a lot about it after the fact, but I was only six years old during the season. So um, just kind of being able to see, you know, how that kind of changed the uh, way baseball was able to transform from that coming out of the 1994 strike. I thought that was just huge. I didn't really know much about that. And then right away, I just love seeing all the interviews from like Bernie Nicholas, big Mike Bush, old guys like Ray Langford, Kerry Wood, Mike Shannon, you know, he's got such a great voice, you know, he just like screamed summer baseball to me. But yeah, no, I really, I really liked it. Just seeing the contract between Mark McGuire as well as Sammy Sosa, just two different personalities, but somehow they both came together on the big stage and really brought the country, gave some entertainment to it in baseball that really needed at the time. And James, certainly this was not the last dance, not nearly at the same level. You were a little bit more sour on this documentary. Just want to get your thoughts about that. Exactly. ESPN 30 for 30 has produced amazing documentaries. And this one, more so than a lot of them, really fell flat. Especially growing up in the Midwest, knowing that rivalry, knowing those names, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. It just didn't kind of light that fire in me that some of these other documentaries have in the past. I felt like for you guys, being a Cubs fan and a Cardinals fan, it tapped into some of those existing feelings and some of those passions of the rivalry of the Cardinals and the Cubs. But for someone who is an outsider looking in, it just didn't do it for me. It just didn't do it at all. It just fell flat. And especially when we just finished the last dance a few weeks ago, this documentary couldn't hold the match to it. And certainly it brought back some nostalgia for me, Sam. You mentioned a lot of the great St. Louis announcers. For me, hearing Chip Carey, Harry Carey's grandson, the former play-by-play -play announcer for the Chicago Cubs and now the Braves play-by-play -play announcer. It was great to hear him and Pat Hughes and a lot of the things that made baseball what it was in both Chicago and St. Louis respectively. But a few things didn't make any sense. Number one, they spliced in a lot of shots of Wrigley Field in what Wrigley Field is now today with an electronic scoreboard and less center field, which didn't exist back in 1998 before a lot of the renovations to Wrigley. 
And then the thing that probably made the least amount of sense to me was they were going to either commercial break or coming back from commercial break. And they've got Nelly, a, a rapper who's from St. Louis, wearing a Chicago Bulls jersey, describing this baseball rivalry. And it was just like, so the weird splicings and then Nelly with a split allegiance. I'm sitting there and I'm like, what am I watching? Sam, how did it make you feel? About Nelly? I, I like that because it just kind of shows like, hey, even though we're, you know, we're still Midwest cities, we're only four and five hours away. So I, don't, I didn't mind that at all, him supporting the, the Bulls. So. But why do we care what Nelly thinks about this series at all? Like that to me didn't make any sense at all. They couldn't have found anyone else to comment on what was a very, very real rivalry. And Sam, you mentioned also that summer. I was six years old, and I do remember that summer, May 6, 1998, Cubs pitcher Kerry Wood was a rookie, and he struck out 20 batters, tying the MLB record at that point, which had only been done by Roger Clements, against a Houston Astros lineup that had Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell and Moise Salou and Dave Clark. And so I remember when that happened, it's like, who's this stud pitcher that the Cubs have? Who's this young arm that eventually the Cubs paired with Mark Pryor in 2003. So to get to see that. And then in the month of June, Sammy Sosa just took off and probably had the greatest month stretch we've ever seen from a baseball player hitting 20 home runs in a single month, video game like numbers. And certainly you've got to bring in the performance enhancing drugs, but one of the things that I thought that the Cardinals have done is they've made amends and they've inducted Mark McGuire into their team Hall of Fame as a diehard Cubs fan. I still, to this day, do not understand why the Cubs haven't done that with Sammy Sosa. And you could argue that it's suspicion of performance-enhancing drugs. You could argue that it was the corked bat. You could argue that it was the boombox in the locker room and everything. But the pure joy that Sammy brought in day in and day out made hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, baseball fans worldwide. I think something that the documentary tapped in a little bit into, but should have gone much, much further was about how Cardinals broadcasts were available to listeners virtually throughout the entire country, just because of KMOX's signal. And so... WGN TV for Cubs baseball did the exact same thing. And so for me, when I see all of these clips of Sammy Sosa and they're both in the documentary and I've seen them all over social media, this guy was my hero growing up. He's the reason why I'm not just a baseball fan, but a sports fan. And I just hope he gets the recognition that he deserves just because of the amount of pure joy he brought to so many people. Man, when he hit one and he just did that two hop out out of the batter's box. I mean, that's just iconic. I mean, that gets me pumped up. I'm not even a Cubs fan. So I did like how they kind of captured that, kind of being a guy that no one really knew him around the league. You know, Mark McGuire was saying, yeah, he, he didn't know much about the guy, which I didn't realize that. He's only, you know, 29 years old, which he's not a rookie or not a young guy. But, you know, this is like the prime of his career. He's had a breakout season. Take a quick break here and to let any of the listeners know, if you'd like to become a presenting sponsor of Stuck in Misery, you can send an email to stuckinmiserypodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is stuckinmiserypodcast 
at gmail.com. Looking for those presenting sponsors at some point in time. The doc really kind of glossed over Sammy Sosa going from the Rangers. He then went to the Chicago White Sox before going to the Cubs. The documentary didn't really get into that at all. And just to me, I felt that the documentary was much more centered on McGuire and the Cardinals than it was on Sammy Sosa and the Cubs. I'd agree with that. It's kind of a shame because McGuire didn't really have the personality that Sosa had. Seeing those two people, McGuire and Sosa, in the, the interview, it was kind of funny how, I forget who was saying, but they're saying if, if it wasn't for Sosa, I mean, that, that McGuire interview would be terrible. He kind of carried away through it. So they, they kind of fed off each other in that way. I think maybe a better interview technique would have been able to somehow get both guys in the same room and to show them old footage. I know that was a technique that the director of The Last Dance would do with Michael Jordan, where he would show Jordan either a highlight or a clip or something someone said, and to get a reaction that way. I think to be able to do that with both Sammy and Mark McGuire and to be able to use that technique of showing someone an interview clip, but then also getting them in the same room would have been a lot more effective. And maybe you just had a time constraint in terms of this documentary was only two hours, whereas the last dance we had a 10 part documentary. So you could get so much more in depth at the same time, to me, it did fall short. It tapped into that nostalgia, but I, I don't know what it was trying to say in terms of performance enhancing drugs either because it seemed like it was trying to completely pin it on Barry Bonds. And like they have a few of the clips where both McGuire and Sosa and Rafael Palmero are there with Bud Selig testifying before Congress. And if you remember when that happened, Sammy Sosa claimed not to understand English to try to skirt the rules and get away with this. Now, what you can say about Sosa is that he never failed a drug test, but he was named in that New York Times story. And so there's always been that suspicion with him. And that's something that definitely looms over him just in his career. But it's hilarious to me. One of the funniest lines I thought was George W. Bush was at the presidential debate and they were asking him, something that you regret doing and he brings up his trade sammy sosa went from the texas rangers in a trade for harold baines ironically harold baines is now in the hall of fame where sammy sosa is not you tell me who the better player is and so i thought that quote from george w bush in the middle of a presidential debate was pretty remarkable yeah mark so to your point and what i said earlier to me this documentary felt incredibly shallow. You have this historic and iconic rivalry between the Cubs and the Cardinals that isn't really explored outside of the fan bases that would already be familiar to it, right? And then simultaneously, you have this monumental event of the 1994 strike where there was no baseball. And I felt like this documentary should have began and really paint a picture of how monumental that strike was and how hurt fans were and how fed up fans were and how angry fans were at both the owners and the players for not being able to come to a deal and cancel a season and effectively cancel the American national pastime. And, you know, I think that, that the story should have then evolved to talk about 
how the steroid era in 19, was it 1996 that 17 hitters hit over 40 home runs contributed to the rebirth of baseball and the bounce back of baseball. And it wasn't just the Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire home run duel. It was also Kyle Ripken Jr. breaking the consecutive games played streak. And then it was Barry Bonds hitting 73 home runs and breaking McGuire's record. McGuire and Sosa and Bonds were all part of that steroid era, and they all contributed to this home run hitting draw that the fans had and what brought fans back into the back into the stands after they felt betrayed by the players and the owners in the league. And when you look at the numbers too, revenue for the MLB was $1.4 billion in 1995. Granted, that's still a lot of money. But in 2001, when Barry Bonds broke his record, revenue was $3.7 billion. And when we look at in 1998, where they have, while they're projecting, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. or Mark McGuire to break the single season home run record, the MLB revenue was $2.5 billion. So it had it, it increased, increased over $1 billion in three years, mainly on riding the coattails of the steroid era and the home run hitting trend upwards. And then in 2005, uh, I believe that was the year where Mark McGuire testified in front of Congress once the MLB had kind of regained its momentum, it was okay to vilify these characters for using steroids and for cheating, although it wasn't technically breaking the rules. There wasn't, there wasn't the drug testing that there is today. It was a completely different game. And these players were taking every competitive advantage, and the MLB was perfectly okay with turning a blind eye to it because they were making money. 100%. It goes back to that Nike commercial from back in the day with Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and Mark McGuire was in it. Chicks dig the long ball. I mean, everyone stood to benefit from this with baseball's increased interest because of the home run era, because of the steroid era coming out of the 1994 strike. And I'll say this, if anything to me, it just shows that the role that baseball could be playing right now in contemporary times coming out of a pandemic versus where we're at right now, where baseball still favored to come back slightly. But after Rob Manfred's comments of he's not sure whether the league's going to come back coming out of a pandemic, where most people don't care when it's billionaire owners and millionaire players trying to negotiate, just figure it out. And it shows that the role that baseball could be playing right now versus continue, continuing it, it exactly it's an opportunity that is being blown right now because really what would baseball have to compete against nothing there's nothing on right now and it's not yes coronavirus is bad i don't want anyone to die from coronavirus i'll say that first and foremost but right now the argument isn't over the virus as an illness it's all about money right now you've got to follow the green you got to follow the paper trail you can't downplay steroids at all either because McGuire was doing this at the age of 34 in the summer of 1998 when he hit 70 home runs. And who is that Baltimore Orioles outfielder back in the day? It was like Brady Anderson. It was like in 96. He had never hit more than 20 home runs. And then I believe it was the summer of 1996. He hit something like 50. And it's like, how in the world does this happen? And it just shows you that as incredible as a lot of these stats were, performance-enhancing drugs definitely played a factor. Yeah, and out of the two hours, it was the last 15 minutes of it. 
I just thought the very beginning I sat down to watch, I'm like, I really hope they get into the steroid era and kind of talk about that and how that played a factor. And sure enough, I think they fell way short on that. It just felt like a complete lost opportunity to not integrate the Cardinals-Cubs rivalry as well as the resurgence of the MLB after the 1994 strike with how monumental and how important breaking this record was for the MLB. Especially, too, you, you, know, you have to look about what's happening in Chicago with Michael Jordan and the last dance of the Bulls and then transitioning to uh, – of that kind of that mantle in Chicago for, for Sammy Sosa. There was a lot of story that could have been told that could have made this a, an incredibly interesting documentary, not just for people in Chicago and St. Louis, but for the entire country. I guess you only can do so much with, uh, with two hours, but I hear you. I hear you, James. The, you did a whole lot with two hours. Oh, okay. So yeah, but I think this brings up a great point though, with the 30 for thirties. And that is this. The Last Dance as a documentary doesn't get made if not with editorial approval about several things from Michael Jordan. Do Sosa and McGuire agree to extended interviews with ESPN if they don't have some level of control of the narrative of this documentary? And I would argue no. So well, I think they're, they're trying to make it into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and whether that and, happens... And by admitting to using performance-enhancing drugs, that diminishes their chances, arguably. The Baseball Hall of Fame just makes no sense to me, though, where it's like Harold Baines and Craig Biggio are in the Hall of Fame, but Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds aren't. I don't even know what the criteria is. And then it's like, how do we know definitively that Craig Biggio didn't use performance-enhancing drugs? Or that even, for this matter, Ken Griffey Jr. has always been known as the kid and the guy who did it the right way and was natural. How do we definitively know that he didn't use steroids. And I hate to be that guy because, yeah, you want to be innocent until proven guilty, but it was just a product of the times and that a good, good percentage and fraction of the players were on some sort of performance enhancing drugs back in the day. That's just how the era was. You know, I, I look at this and I look at these stats and recognize that it was the steroid era. But at the same time, these guys are putting up numbers that are still to this day a little unfathomable. You know, as someone who lives in New York, you watch Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and some of these other players, and they aren't coming anywhere close to hitting 73 home runs. So it kind of puts that question in your head, how impactful were steroids in baseball? And do these guys to deserve to be barred from the Hall of Fame because of steroid use, or were they that good? I mean, look at Mark McGuire in his rookie year. They even cover it in the documentary. He hit a ton of home runs. Yeah, like you said, a lot of home runs. And it still takes day in, day out, hard work to get to that point. I think you still have to recognize he was one of the best hitters of that era. And if everyone was using steroids, then that just inflates everything, maybe. Here's the thing, too. Are the pitchers not on performance-enhancing drugs, too? So it's like they want to make this all on the hitters. It's just like play devil's advocate here. The pitcher's not on performance enhancers. We mentioned the stats, too. Sammy Sosa is still the only guy in MLB history to hit 60 home runs in three seasons. No other guy has done that. So he was able to do this year in and year out. And I can tell you this right now, having grown up in Chicago. Other than that 98 season when the Cubs snuck into the playoffs, and other than an 03 
when they went to the NLCS against the Marlins, the Cubs weren't very good. And he was literally the only reason to be able to go day in and day out just because it was appointment television when these guys came up to the plate. And that started in the 98 season in the home run race between McGuire and Sosa. I don't know what things are like that in sports where it's just like this player is is hitting or this player or team is on. I need to stop everything what I am doing and pay attention to this at bat. I don't know if baseball's had a player quite like that really post bonds. I mean, think about it. When McGuire got, he got a standing ovation on the road. When have you ever seen that before? They showed some clips of Barry Jeter. Bonds and when he was, okay, Jeter in his final season. It's rare. It's rare. Jeter can be an exception. They showed some of the Bonds clips when he hit 73. In that season, Barry Bonds was such a good hitter. When the bases were loaded, they would intentionally walk him and allow in a run rather than let him hit. That's how dynamic some of these guys were at the plate, steroids or not. Yeah, I would even say, you know, you got big names like Bryce Harper and Mike Trout that no matter what, a lot of, a lot of the fans are going to see those guys play even when they're coming to town. But it's I would, not I would, on the same level, though. Yeah, not on the same level. I don't think we'll probably ever see anything like that again in MLB. I don't. I think because of uh, the growing banned substance lists uh, compounded with more awareness around resting players and player longevity, I don't think you'll get it. What's something that you would have done and added that the documentary didn't properly address? I would say probably more scenes of that that forty five cent beer uh, deal they had going on on Wrigley. I mean, I just love seeing all the boys out there with their shirts off, you know, with the Sosa across the chest. Like that just looks like you know classic Wrigley. So Sam, uh, I just I love seeing that. Sam, you texted me while this the the doc was on, and I was talking a little bit earlier about just the pure joy Sosa played with. Mm-hmm. It was just like Babylon. Whenever he was out there, the bleacher bums, running out to right field at the start of every game, probably my favorite Sammy Sosa memory was in the first home game at Wrigley post 9-11. And yeah. Sammy runs out there with an American flag, and the place just loses it. Oh, yeah. And it was a really, really unifying moment in his first plate appearance, his first at-bat, he hits a home run, and the fans just are going nuts. And it was a real moment that helped lift us back up as a country. And I'm thinking to myself, it's like if baseball were on right now, we're approaching the July 4th weekend. Several weeks back, I was thinking to myself, what better way to restart MLB play then on July the 4th, a Saturday this year, what a unifying moment for our country that that would be with everything that's going on right now. And it's an opportunity that will not happen because, again, you've got billionaires arguing with millionaires, and it's not even about this worldwide virus, this pandemic, the coronavirus. It's all about money right now. And if this documentary pointed anything out to me, it did two things. One, the nostalgia, which we've talked about quite a bit already, but the role that baseball can play in a sport that's played day in and day out 
and to provide that joy for people, that distraction for people, that relief for people, and to give them something to do. And this wasn't a perfect documentary, but it just showed to me what role baseball and sports can play for our country. Fellas, last thoughts about this documentary. I'll be honest, if I had to kind of give it a grade, for me, probably be like a C minus. It just didn't, maybe I was too hyped going in. Sam, I think you said it earlier in terms of Sammy Sosa is much more of a showman. To me, he's a much more compelling character than Mark McGuire was. And I think that two hours of this documentary really, really showed that. I think you also could have brought in Ken Griffey Jr. in to this discussion because he was involved in that race for a good portion of the season. I know MLB Network is doing its own Ken Griffey Jr. documentary here in the next couple of days. But to me, I thought this documentary felt a little bit short of what really it could have been. I would say probably around the B, B minus range. But, you know, I looked at at it more as like a fan, you know, kind of experiencing as if I was there or kind of, it brought me back to that, like you said, nostalgia. So I think that kind of had some some sort of play into how I really enjoyed it. But yeah, maybe on a broader scale, it wouldn't be it as high of a rating, but I still think in this time where we're striving for content, it was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it my Sunday night. I'm going to give it a 69. What is that? A D plus left me wanting more. I think they could have told the story that they told in about an hour. They, they need two hours to tell that story. You wanted them to put all this other stuff in there. How do they get all that in there if it's an hour? Exactly. They should have told the existing story in an hour and they should have added all of my feedback to make it two hours. It would have been a much better documentary. I will say this, the shots of contemporary Wrigley matched up with 98. Is this something that you guys noticed? It almost feels like they made it in quarantine with like a shortened production staff and like too tight of a timeline. Well, Mark, they're doing the same thing with Bush. I mean, old Bush Stadium is not even around anymore. They're showing a new stadium that McGuire didn't even play in. So I get get you there. It's like they had B-roll the 2019 season and some lady wearing a McGuire jersey. Like and there and then they threw it in the documentary. It just it, there there are definitely pieces that just didn't feel like they belonged. All right, well, fellas, this was fun for the first pod, and please rate, review, and subscribe to Stuck in Misery. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Next week we talk about sports that happened in this decade. <laughs> you heard it here first for James West and Sam Renchen. I'm Mark Bergen. Thank you for listening to Stuck in Misery again. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Take care. So long. We'll see you next time.